We want this time of year for our kids to know that, um, that the world is celebrating because we have a reason to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And we want them to hear that story in this season. And so we're taking time before every sermon this month to sit down together to read this story together. Are you all ready to continue it and maybe get a candy cane if we answer a question? I got a hard question for you this morning, okay? All right, so... If you remember, so far in the story, we have heard about, um, about Mary and an angel appearing to Mary. We've heard about uh, a miraculous pregnancy and a Savior growing inside of, of Mary. Uh, we've heard of Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. And now we are going to go on a road trip. And we are going to go with Mary and her fiancé, Joseph, and they're going to travel because of the local king says that there has to be a census. Now, census just means they have to count everybody to make sure everybody is accounted for. So they travel to Bethlehem. And while they're in Bethlehem, Mary gives birth to her son, Jesus, right? And the problem was, is that whenever they made it to Bethlehem, there was no place in the hotel for them to stay. There's no rooms left. And so they had to go out to where the animals sleep, and that's where baby Jesus was born in a manger. And there were all kinds of animals and things happening. You had babies being born. You had cows that were lowing. Actually, that's my question for you. Does anybody here know what a lowing cow means? Yeah, you need to know that because this crowd behind me, they will tear you apart if you don't know what lowing cow means. No, I'm just kidding. The real question is, does anybody know that baby born what his name was? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that's an easy one, right? In church, you can always say Jesus, and it's probably the right answer, right? Yeah, that was Jesus. And I want, does everybody see my shirt right here? What does that say? Now, I want to show you something really cool. If you cover up just part of Christmas, does anybody know what it says? Mary Christ. Okay, yeah, it, says, it says Christ, right? And that's really what this season is about. It's about Jesus, the Christ, the Savior. Thank you all so much for sitting so politely and listening to, to or next week. We have the last part of the story, but because y'all were so good, Miss Elizabeth right here is going to give all of you a candy cane, and y'all can go very quietly back to your seat. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause for doing such a good job. Somebody asked me, like, do you not like kids, Peyton? And I was like, why? And it's like, well, at the end of last week, you said, man, aren't we glad we made it through that? And it sounded like you didn't enjoy that we were reading a story to them. I said, no, no, no. It's just a miracle to actually have the kids sit for that long and pay attention to me. And I'm just so grateful for that we made it through another one so well. And so that's the same for this morning. And uh, we, are, we love our kids here at the Vero Beach Church of Christ. We love raising them in God's word and the story. You know, next week is Christmas Eve service. Last year, we had Sunday Christmas service. This year, it's Christmas Eve. And I know Tracy is planning to bring all of the friendly, all of the bright, all of the festive energy that he knows how to bring. <laughs> He's chuckling at me. So I thought... I thought today, today would be a good stick it to me message, right? A little, a little bit of conviction 
today. And I'm just giving you a, a little bit of warning that today's going to be a little more intense than we usually are during this time of year. But it's not just conviction for you. It's conviction for me. It's conviction for all of God's body, the one that meets here at Vero Beach Church of Christ and all over the world. Because today we're going to be discussing, we're continuing our carols of the faith, and the carol that we're going to be discussing today is Away in the Manger, a very popular Christmas carol, one of my favorites. This song was first published in a Lutheran Sunday school curriculum in 1885. Now, many people believe that the author of the lyrics of the song was none other than Martin Luther, the father of the Great Reformation. But after some study, many people think that's probably not likely, which leaves the author still a mystery. We still don't know quite who wrote these words for the very first time, but it is no mystery that this song, Away in the Manger, has impacted hearts this time of year, generation after generation. And so I want to sing it together in our church family. Let's sing Away in the Manger. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love the Lord Jesus, look down from the sky. And stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care, and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. There is a phrase used in that song over and over throughout the song. That's going to be our focus this morning, is that phrase. In my goal is that as you worship the Lord in this time of year for the rest of your life and you sing this song, that this moment, this morning will come back to your memory. And you will have a moment, a second, to realign your heart to God's design and desire for you. The phrase that we're going to talk about this morning is the little Lord Jesus. The little Lord Jesus. I love that phrase. I really do. But it does a little bit of a disservice to us because of the picture 
that it brings to our mind. It brings the nativity scene. It brings what the song says of an infant child laying down his head in a manger. And we often, during this time of year, we focus a lot on the little baby Jesus, and we forget the most important word in that phrase. It's not the little baby Jesus. It's the little Lord Jesus, the lordship of Christ. That Jesus didn't stay a six-pound, eight-ounce little baby in a manger. He didn't even stay a man who would grow up to do great things. That he was a savior, born a savior, died a savior, resurrected a savior. And that's the theme for today's message is Jesus is Lord. In fact, let's say that together. Jesus is Lord. In fact, 740 times in your New Testament... It declares Jesus as Lord 740 times. I want to look at one of those moments. We've already talked about it this morning with our children. The very first time that Jesus in the flesh is recognized as the Savior is found in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And let me build you some context, build some context out of what's happening here. Jesus is on his way, both in his mother's womb and into the world. And then we flash scene over to some shepherds in a field that are tending their flocks, random shepherds. And an angel appears to those shepherds and says these words. We read them last week. They say, do not be afraid to these shepherds. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born. Freeze frame. What they just said has been, on, has been the shepherd's expectation for centuries. They have been waiting for this news that they just were told by the angels. For centuries, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, all of Israel has been prophesied, has been told one day a Savior would be born to them. And now, the angel says, it's happening. Today, in the town of David, right down the road, it's happening. A Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, is being born. So at the very beginning of this story, the very beginning of Jesus' story, of Jesus in the flesh, he is established to us as the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord, which the question that I want to deal with today is what does that mean? What does that mean for my life today? As I walk out these doors, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? If I'm married, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord in my marriage? If I'm dating, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord in my dating life? If I just finished up finals and I'm back for winter break, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord in my finals? If I'm shopping for Christmas presents, because guys, you have one week left, that's your only warning right there, then what does it mean that Jesus is the Lord of my life as I'm shopping for Christmas presents? What does it mean that Jesus is our Lord? The Greek word, and I want you to write this down, for Lord is the word kurios. It's just curious with a K, kurios. 
Now, Kyrios is obviously for us defined as Lord, but outside of the church, that means nothing. <laughs> it's like you use Lord anywhere else, people are going to scratch their head. So we need a better definition. What does Lord mean? It means to have supreme authority over something, or it can also be defined as the controller of something. Now, I can imagine that some of you in this room, that word you're going to struggle with this morning the controller, because if Jesus is the controller of my life, he's got some competition, and it's you. <laughs> you like to control your life. You want to be in control. I, you know what? I'm thankful that I don't have this problem. I'm not a control freak at all. As long as everybody does what I say and does it exactly how I say it, I have no problem with control. Okay, I have a little bit of a problem with control, but here's the thing. I am the only good driver out there, and so I need to be in control. Everybody else is playing bumper cars. I'm here, and I'm in control. Or if you're at my house, it's my TV, and I'm going to be in control of the remote control. Okay, that's just how it's going to go. In fact, it's gotten so bad, it's gotten so bad that I have actually downloaded an app on my phone that controls my TV. So I can give people the illusion that they're in control. Like, oh yeah, you can hold the remote, you're in control, buddy. But really, I'm always in control, right? And how many of you, let's try it this way. How many of you are list makers? You enjoy a good list. Put your hand up. You enjoy a good list. Okay, good. Yeah, you don't mess with someone's list, right? That's my list. That's what I have to do. Put your hand up one more time. Nice and proud, my list makers. Okay, everybody look around. These are the control freaks in our church family right here. We spotted you out. But listen, I'm with you. I love a good list. I'm all about a good list. I make a list. I get the things done. At the end of the day, I know exactly what happened. I know exactly how productive I was. My day went according to plan. And it's not just lists. It's not just errands. It's not just what we want. We do it all over our life. We do it with our kids, right? We want to control what our kids do, how they act, how they'll grow up, how they'll talk to us. I've already planned what our Christmas morning is going to look like. Have it all locked down. Kids are going to sleep in. They're going to come out, matching pajamas, hair combed over. We're going to sit at the breakfast table. We're going to sit down and sing Christmas songs and hold hands and pray about baby Jesus and the life that he gives so that we can have life. There's going to be no fighting, no complaining. It's going to be perfect. Why are you laughing? Who's laughing? <laughs> we want to be in control. So what does it mean that Jesus is the supreme authority of our life? That Jesus is the controller, that Jesus is Lord. What does it mean that I make Jesus the Lord of my life? Actually, let's take a step back. And I don't want to get too technical with you, but that's actually the wrong kind of phrase. And I don't want to harp on you for using the wrong phrase, but you realize we don't actually make Jesus the Lord of our life. Jesus is already Lord. We don't do that. God made Jesus Lord a long time ago. All we are doing is surrendering our life to who Jesus is. We are surrendering to Jesus's Lordship. So really the question we're asking this morning is, what does it mean to surrender my life 
to Jesus as my Lord. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of this morning. We're going to talk about the different levels of surrender. Now, there's actually three levels, but we're not going to talk about one of them because one of them is like not surrendering at all. And we're just going to push that one out the door because I'm telling you right now, if you haven't even surrendered a portion of your life to Jesus, this message isn't for you. You can just sit back and relax. Everybody else, if you are here and you say, I have surrendered my life to Jesus, you are either the fully surrendered, I fully surrendered my life to Jesus, and that's what he wants, or you are the partially surrendered life, the partially surrendered life. And my goal is that whenever you leave here this morning, you will know which of the two you actually are the fully surrendered life or the partially surrendered life. And I'm afraid that this is where the majority of Americans live. This is the casual Christian, the cultural Christian. The, what I love how Greg Crochelle, he's a pastor in Oklahoma City, he defines it. He calls it the Christian atheist, meaning people who believe there is a God but live their life as if he doesn't exist. The Christian atheist, or what I'm calling this morning, the partially surrendered life. Luke chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 46, Jesus is talking to two groups of people. One, he's talking to the wise builders. The second group, he's talking to the foolish builders. And he asked them the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, emphatic, right? Two words back to back. You are Lord, Jesus. Amen, right? That's what they're saying. You are Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say. Why do you do that? In other words, why are you giving me lip service? Jesus says, I don't want lip service. I want life service. I don't want you to talk the talk. I don't care about that. I want you to actually walk the walk. Why do you say, I am Lord, but then you go out and you do whatever you want? That's what Jesus is asking, because he's not playing a game. We make, we make Christianity, our faith, into a game that we can win. Oh, if I go to so many Sunday services, and I you know, take communion so many times, and I give so much of my money, then I can power up my points, and then I'm good with God. We gamify it, and Jesus says this isn't a game. There are so many people today who would say, yeah, 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 I believe in God, absolutely. But I'm still going to be in control, obviously. Yeah, 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 I believe that Jesus is Lord, but I'm still going to do pretty much what I want to do. Yeah, Jesus is Lord, but I'm not going to trust him, you know, with everything. I'll trust him with the majority. That should be good enough. And what we do, before long, we end up living however we want to live. We look no different than the rest of the world. We just so happen to wake up on Sunday morning and go to church. And the word that we believe is transformative, that transforms our life, we read it and we say, yeah, 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 yeah. When it comes to relationships, I know what Jesus says. I know he says that I should forgive those who persecute me, that I should accept those who are nothing like me, that I should love and bring these people in, but oh man, they hurt me really bad. And, and those people over there, they make me really uncomfortable. And, and these guys over here, they offend me. So you know what? I'm just going to... Take, take that part out of my Bible. I don't need that. 
oh yeah, 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 I know, I know what Jesus says I'm supposed to do with my money. I'm supposed to trust God and not get into crazy debt or, you know, just, just give it back to God in this church. But you know what? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So I'm just going to take out those pieces. You know, when it comes to my time, I know I'm supposed to live for God. I'm supposed to sacrifice my time with him. And I absolutely am going to do that. I will give God, you have my Sundays, the majority of them. There's going to be some Sundays that the kids have travel ball, so we're going to be out of town on those Sundays. And, you know, the Dolphins play at 11 on that day, so, you know, we don't get out quite on, so I'll, I'll leave a little bit early. And, you know, I, I had a really long weekend, and I, I just need some me time, so I'm going to stay home. But the majority of the weekends, God, they're all yours. The weekends, mine. Sunday, yours. And what we're essentially saying is, oh, what you, about community and fellowship, and I'll just take out part of that. And I will, in the end, keep what I want. And some of you here this morning, you're ready to leave the building because you're ready for lightning to strike. <laughs> you're like, oh, he's ripping up his Bible. We've got to get out of here. <laughs> Don't stand too close to Peyton. Let me remind you that you are highly offended by what you think I did, and I merely took out pages of ink and ripped them up. But for many of us, we rip up God's truth every day with the way we live or the way we don't live. And Jesus said, don't call me Lord. And then walk out these doors and do whatever you want. I'm not here for that. I don't want that kind of follower. That's a partially surrendered life and I want nothing to do with it. In fact, let me read to you Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. I'm going to read from a new translation this morning. New translation, pretty exciting, right? I'm calling this the PSV, the PSV. Tracy said that sounds like the Peyton version. <laughs> it's not the Peyton version. It's the partially surrendered version. That's what I'm calling it, the partially surrendered. Of Proverbs chapter 3 says something like this. You know, usually I trust in the Lord with some of my heart. I will lean on your understanding, God, in most of my ways, although I do a pretty good job at making my own path straight, so I got that down. Now, if you're new to church or new to the Bible, let me just say very clearly, this is not in your Bible. This is my made-up version of my partially surrendered version, but the reality is, is that many of us were living as if this was in our Bible, as if this is what we do believe is true. But here's the thing, Jesus is not a part-time Lord, so he wants nothing to do with part-time followers. When you surrender your life to Jesus, you are saying you have all of it. Every bit of it is yours. Will you make mistakes? A hundred percent but you have surrendered your life. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, amen. Come with me, pick up your cross right there, and let's go. If you want to find your life, you have to lose your life. You have to give it all away. You have to surrender it entirely to the lordship of Jesus, meaning you don't get to just decide, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. God, through his word, he gets to make that decision for you. He gets to decide where you go, why you go it. You don't get to pick and choose. I like this thing. I don't like that. Keep me out of hell, but I'm going to do whatever I want. That's a partially surrendered 
life. And Jesus is absolutely serious about this. He says, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I say? I want to do an exercise with you. It's an easy exercise. You stay right in your seat. You don't have to talk. You don't have to think out loud. I want to ask you a question. And I want you to just think for a second to really open up your mind and your heart this morning. Because here's what I believe. I think God is going to put something on your heart. Absolutely, 100%, God is going to reveal something to you this morning if you are open and ready to receive it. I want to ask you a question. I'll ask it a couple of ways, and I want you to think, and I want you to put a name on it. Don't have to share it with anybody. It's between you and God. Here's your question. What have I not surrendered to the Lord? What area of my life am I still trying to control? What area am I unwilling to give entirely to God? It could be any number of things. I want you to be honest, be open, to receive whatever it is that God's putting there for you, to name it, to capture it. For some of you, it might be trusting God with your kids, like we talked earlier. Like, I'll give God pretty much everything, but these are my kids, by golly. And I know what they need, where they need to go, how they're going to get there. I will set their paths straight, God. I'll do it for the majority of their lives. Others of you, it's your future. Man, some of you have it all figured out, don't you? Young people, you're going to go graduate with this GPA. You're going to get into that college, get that kind of scholarship. You're going to finish and get that degree and land that job. You're going to marry that girl or that guy, have that many kids, land in that town, and get paid that much. And God, if you don't, if you don't line it up just like that, you're not listening Give me your number and I'll fax it to you what my plan is because obviously there was a misconnection there. It could be your relationships. That you're just not going to do what God wants you to do in your relationships, your dating relationships. You're dating that guy or that girl that you know you shouldn't be dating. They are not leading you any closer in your relationship to Jesus. Oh, but I can change him. Oh, but I love her. No, you just don't want to give up control. So what is it for you? What have you not surrendered to Christ? For me, I'm not willing to surrender my time to God. Man, there's only so many hours in my day, and I'm going to squeeze every drop of productivity that I can out of it. And no, I'm not going to leave God room in my schedule to work. If God wants to work with what I already have on the calendar, go crazy, God. You can go ham on that. But am I going to leave room to stop, to reflect, to pray, to go in his word, to trust him? No, no, no. I am all in, and I'm going hard for Jesus. I'm nonstop for Jesus. But I don't think Jesus actually asked that from me. And if God valued stopping and resting, he probably thinks it's pretty valuable for me, too. So I want you to be honest with you. 
What is it? What area are you not fully surrendering to God? Because almost all of us, in one way or another, we're living a partially surrendered life. When we've been called to live a fully surrendered life. And I want to talk about this for the rest of our time. This isn't a sometime Sunday type of Christian. This is an all-in Christian. This isn't a, you know, whenever it's a convenient moment for me, Christian. It's not a God bless America and I vote Republican kind of stuff. It is a full-blown, holding nothing back. My life doesn't belong to me. It fully belongs to him kind of commitment. Paul says it perfectly in Romans chapter 14, verse 7 through 8. He says, for none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. How many of you are alive in this room? Just say amen. Cool, about 50% of you are breathing. Okay, let me say a prayer of resurrection. Father God, please resurrect the rest of the people in this room. Okay, now, how many of you are alive in this room? Say amen. Amen. Oh, there they are. Wow, prayer works, people. Yeah, so if we are alive, how do we live? Paul says it. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to Christ. We are fully his. We don't belong to ourselves. You are not your own. You no longer get to decide what you want to do. You have surrendered your life to Christ. If you take on that label, I am a Christian, I am a Christ follower, then it's no longer your life who lives, but it's Christ's life living through you. It's like whenever I put on this ring 10 years ago, which I try, I fidget with it, but I don't take it off for the most part. If I go to the gym, I don't take my ring off because I want people at the gym to know that I'm married. If I go swimming at the beach, I don't take my ring off because I want people at the beach to know that I'm married. I want people to know that I belong to Darian, that Darian belongs to me. In fact, 10 years ago, I bought the nicest ring that a 20-something-year-old could buy. Wasn't anything special, but it's a thought that counts people, all right? So I saved up, I negotiated, I borrowed a little bit of money from my parents, and I gave it to her. And I asked her, will you be mine? Will you, Darian, marry me? Now question, in that moment, what did that cost her? It cost me a lot, (laughs) but what did it cost her? Well, in that moment, it didn't cost her anything. Not until she received the gift, and then it cost her everything. Will you be mine? Will you marry me? See, at that point, when we stood before God, she gave her life to me. I gave my life right back to her. Collectively, we gave our life and our marriage to God. We belong to him. So you know what that means? She doesn't belong to you. No matter how awesome you are, no matter how much better looking you are than I am, no matter how much money and things that you could give her that I could never even imagine giving her, she doesn't belong to you. She belongs to me. She's mine and I belong to her. So I can't go hang out with a bunch of girls on the weekend. I can't do that, why? Because I belong to her, and she will remind me of that over and over again. This ring, it doesn't cost me anything, or it didn't cost me anything, not until I accepted it. 
And the ring I gave her didn't cost her anything until, I accept, until she accepted it. And here's the deal. When Jesus shed his blood and he died for you, he offered the availability of free salvation. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. It's not by work so that no man can boast. It is the gift of God given to you. Salvation costs you nothing, but it cost Jesus everything. And so whenever you say yes to it, whenever you accept it, your life it's no longer yours. Does that make sense? Whenever, whenever I put this ring on, my life was no longer mine. For the rest of my life, I'm saying I'm yours. Whenever I had two boys, my life, again, was no longer mine. But I was okay with both those things because 15 years earlier, I had given my life to Jesus. I knew my life wasn't mine anymore. And the same is true for you. No matter where you are in life, if you claim the name of Christ, your life is fully surrendered to him. It is no longer what you want. It's no longer what you desire. And this is the casual approach to Jesus, is that we look at little baby Jesus in the manger, six pound, eight ounces. Jesus is my friend, my buddy, my homie, but I don't have to actually submit my life to him. But Jesus didn't stay in a manger. He didn't stay as a man. And he is coming back reigning and ruling the supreme authority over all things and he's coming back and he means business he'll come back with a sword with king of kings and lord of lords written on both sides and he's going to look at you and i hope he doesn't say why do you call me lord and your entire life was lived for you he's going to mean business and if we are christians we belong to him so now we read Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, the actual translation that says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and don't rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways, and he will make your paths straight. This translation has the word acknowledge here. I don't really like that translation. In Hebrew, it's the word yada. It's like Yoda with two A's, yada, yada, okay? And yada means to know somebody, not know about somebody, but like really know them, like Adam and Eve know each other. It's not sexual, it's intimate, to know somebody. And that's what we're called to know God on an extremely personal level. Here's the bottom line. The reason so many of us don't surrender some of our lives to God is because we don't know him in those parts of our lives. You don't actually know him. That's the bottom line. Because to know him is to surrender to him. To know he is ever-present, all-powerful, all-good. That he is holy and set apart from anything that we could ever imagine. He is so good that we can't even look on his face in his purest form. That he is worth surrendering our life to because he is a, wor he is a king worthy of surrender. And he is extremely personal. God didn't just wind up the world and then release it out into the cosmos. He is a personal God. He is God with us, Emmanuel, right? And Tracy's going to be preaching on that next week. 
a personal God. That's why God sent Jesus, so that you could know God on a far more personal level. You could relate to him. You could have a relationship with him. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing for me to know? He essentially says to have a relationship with God. To love him with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. A fully commitment, a full commitment to God. Not I like this, I don't like that. You know, Darian doesn't stay with me because of some empty promise. She stays with me because we have an intimate, ongoing relationship. Because we know each other. Because we have given our lives to each other. Because we are going to fight for the things that matter to us. And that's what God wants. So as I land this plane, let me talk about the tragedy. The tragedy is that there are far too many people in churches, and maybe some here this morning, who are under the illusion that they are cool with God. Things are good with me and God because you go to church every once in a while, or maybe every Sunday, because you got wet in the baptistry one day, because you check off all the boxes, because you, you, know, you give your money and you, you tithe and you're overall a good person. If that's all Christianity is to you, if that is the sole, tu- the sole sum uh, of your Christian walk, then maybe Jesus is looking at you saying, you don't actually know me. The reality is, is that eternal life costs us nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. And our only reasonable response is to give our lives entirely back to him. Because not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. You know that verse? It's not about lip service, it's about life service. And there is a big difference between calling Jesus Lord and surrendering to his lordship. And Jesus says, this isn't a game. I'm not a part-time Lord to you, so I don't want part-time followers coming after me. He gave us the free gift of eternal life and all he wants is the reasonable response for us to give our life back to him. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the moment we have to stop, to reflect, to think about our own life. And so, Father, as we think about little Lord, baby Jesus, as we sing the song and see nativity scenes and think about this season, Lord, we pray that Jesus is not just some baby in our life or some man who did some awesome things. But God, that we submit our life, we surrender our life entirely to him. That a partially, we are in danger of a partially surrendered life. One that is a facade, is a mirage, it's an illusion that we believe ourselves. That if I can just do enough good stuff, go to church just the right amount of time, give just amount of money, Say my prayers just so often that I'll be good with God. God, I pray that we won't be part-time followers, that this church will not be a part-time church. God, that we won't be part-time in our marriage, in our children's lives, in our work, 
But God, that we work with excellence, that we give you everything, that our whole life, everything that we have, our thoughts, our heart, our actions, our spirit, our soul, it is fully surrendered to you and what you want in our life. God, during this season, the world sings songs and carols and hymns. Half the world is thinking of you, the other half doesn't know you. But God, we're not worried about the world this morning. We bring it all the way back home, into our very church, into our pew line, into our heart. And we ask ourselves, with open and honest hearts, what have I not surrendered to you, God? Take it. Take it. Take it. We are so thankful that Jesus was a baby for a moment, but he is Lord for all eternity. And because of that, we have hope. And we say it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.